recording live from inside of a T-Rex skull in Castle Cage. It's the American Pale Males podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Michael, reading a issue of Superman number one, or Detective Comics number one, and with me is... The very confused Jeremy. Thought we'd change up the scenery a little bit and uh, come out to Castle Cage. What? It, what record from a T-Rex skull. What is Castle Cage? It's the very castle owned by Nick Cage. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's a... Is he still in, like, hilarious amounts of trouble with the IRS? I think he had to sell his castle. But, yes, I think he is. I also think he had to sell his uh, Superman number one or whatever it's oh, called. Oh, I finally get things. <laughs> yes, I action get, comics. Get it. No, yeah, Detective it. Comics was Batman, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes. But for now... Mm-hmm. Do you have a beer brag for me? So, Michael, I, this past weekend, I finally made the the trip to Des Moines and saw Last Podcast on the Left live, and it was delightful. Mm. The, uh, the concierge at the hotel told me too much about where they were staying. He did not tell me what room they were in, but he did tell me oh. what hotel they were in. Uh, that seems like a violation of trust. Well, so, I, I yes, and I brought that up to him. Um, I, I check in, and since my brother travels for uh, pretty much a living, my brother has more points than he can ever hope to use, and since mm-hmm. he lives in a hotel for most of the time, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to use those on vacations. So if ever I need yeah. a room, I am largely have one. The concierge saw how many points were on the account, and he said, "Is like, oh, hey, what are you in town for? And I said, oh, I'm going to go see the show at Hoyt Sherman tonight. Oh, last podcast? I, I know a few guys who are going to be there and not so subtly told me to keep my eyes open in the hotel. And <laughs> he also more or less told me that they would be drinking at a certain establishment afterwards, although I was a little bit too tired and just didn't want to wait however long it would be until they came out. Right. But beforehand, uh, photographer of the show and I went to El Bait Shop, Des Moines, Iowa, which was a... Uh, I've t- I talked about the last time I was there, right? With the uh, super ba- old barrel-aged Rasputin? Oh, yeah. that Yeah, that rings a bell a little bit, yes. Okay. Uh, so, there was a few of them that I had there. Mostly uh, IPAs based on puns, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I, including uh, Champagne in the Membrane, which there's like five of them titled that. Uh, two Hops This Time. Okay. Which I got strictly for the name. It was okay. Strictly okay. But the one that was very good is from Stillwater Artisanal, which is usually, you know, a a $30 four-pack beer. Oh. I got rhinestones and sequins. It's a sour brute double India pale ale brewed with Sauvignon Blanc grapes. So it's about four or five different styles, adjectives thrown into one. And the sour kind of overrides everything. There's a little bit of hop going on, but it's it's mostly a sour that has like a little bit of a, a wine kick to it. Okay. So in some respects, it's more like a wine than any of them because most of the, the brute IPAs we've had are just dry and they don't have any other characteristics of a wine. Mm-hmm. This one was sour and it had the grapes in there. Very good. I highly mm. recommend you check it out if you can get your hands on it. What what about yourself, Michael? Yeah, I've never heard of them before. I'm just looking at some of their um, labels here, and mm-hmm. they're kind of crazy. Yeah, indeed. Uh, in the spirit of the summer, I had recently had a Kolsch from Hinterland Brewing Company out of Green Bay. 
And so I was trying to find more about it, but it's, I don't even see it on their website. But I know this is a fairly recent release, as I understand. So this one, it was good. It was zesty. There's a subtle citrus there. There's a lot of flavor in a light body package. Yeah, nice and refreshing, but still enough little twists and turns in there to keep it a little interesting. Unlike, you know, you were saying last week with the uh, Dashutes. Didn't mm-hmm. have enough, you know, it was there and gone. This one definitely had some lingering flavors, some twists and turns for Kolsch anyway, that uh, kept it interesting. So, yeah, it was a good one. Good to know, Michael. As I explore these yellow beers this summer. You are going back to the yellow beers. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, I'm told you have surprises for me. Yes. Last week with the Deschutes Dashutes, we were in Oregon, uh, <laughs> calling that an extension of our road trip. <laughs> well, no, it's a, it's a pit stop, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is, yeah, because we flew out of PDX. Or at least a layover, one might say. Right. Yeah, it's a layover. Uh, now we are starting a new, not road trip series, but world tour as we, the next few beers we have here are going to be from around the world. Mm-hmm. And the first beer in this series is from Japan. Mm-hmm. We'll reveal it in one second here. But first, Jeremy, I have a little quiz for you or little trivia factoids, however you want to take it, that I'm calling Bing, ding, da, 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 ding, the big in Japan quiz. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> And these are things that are big in Japan. Are you ready, Jeremy? Mm-hmm. What was the maximum weight of the heaviest sumo wrestler ever recorded? And you get plus or minus uh, 25 pounds. I want to say 615. Oh, you know, we'll give it to you. It was 644. I don't know much about sumo wrestlers. I just know that Yokozuna was alleged to be a sumo wrestler. And he looked like he was probably clocking in at four bells. That's an insanely... That's a lot of mass. And it's also a lot of mass for someone who's supposed to be doing what he was doing. Whereas it seems like largely the point of sumo wrestling is just be immovable. Mm-hmm. And so... 400 is probably like a uh, a little dude over there. Oh, it seems like it. I mean, based on some of these. Bantamweight, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, so the um, that this guy was actually born in Russia. I imagine, you know, Communists. towards the, uh, <laughs> the west part of Russia. But um, You mean the east part of Russia? Well, that little part that's, you know, like around Mongolia. Like west of Japan? Yes. Okay. Anyways, onward with the quiz. By market capitalization, what is the largest company traded on the Japanese stock market? The Nikkei? Isn't that the name of the stock market? Uh, It may be. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Bonus fact for you all at home. Market capitalization. So this is like the the biggest Japanese company that's traded on their stock market. Yen value. Probably Sony was my guess. Ooh, good guess. They're like in the top five. I was gonna say they've got to be up there. Yeah, uh, it is. Daewoo. Toyota. Oh dang it. <laughs> Daewoo. Daewoo. That's that. That was a Korean car company. And they made TVs too. That they sold at Shopco's. <laughs> Did you work at a Shopco? I worked at a Pomida, which turned into a Shopco. 
Oh, so you're that's, part of the crew, man. I know the yeah, deal. Yeah, I was going to say, enemy of the show and crazy neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, all worked at Shopco's. It's you true. Too. Yeah, I uh, I just spent most of my time screwing around in the back room. <sighs> that's what it seems like you could do at Shopco. Mm-hmm. No one was there. It was a town of 2,000 people. Who cares? <laughs> I should have worked at the Shopco. I worked at Target. You had a better job. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Grass is always greener, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, by magnitude, what year was the most severe earthquake ever recorded in Japan? Well, probably. Or what? how big was any fact about it that you can give? Okay. I know that earthquakes are exponential. Logarithmically, yes. The, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah. you're right. So, like, while a 7.1 might be only 0.1 higher than a 7.0, it's significantly more terrifying. Correct? Yeah, so, like, a, an 8 is 10 times more powerful than a 7. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's been, like, an 8... Because that seems like uh, Geostorm or that one, the Rock movie, where he flew the helicopter. Um, I'm going to say a 7.5 earthquake in 95. Okay. It was a 9.1. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, that was the one that led to the Fukushima disaster in mm. 2011. So a little off coast, but um, 33-foot tsunami waves with that one. Like, we, we, we see these things in movies. Mm-hmm. Like, Pacific Rim is probably the best one that has those. I'm sure there's better special effects, but I don't really need to see 2012 or really any Roland Emmerich movie. But it's just like a 33-foot... That's like, that's as tall as my condo building. Right. Like just moving forward you know yeah wiping oh, out man. all life in its path yeah very yeah very devastating and then the one before that was a 8.9 but that was back in 869 <laughs> so that was wait they <laughs> they kept track all the way back then well that might have been estimated <laughs> based on historical data or uh-huh. but it just goes to show you how once in a century decade millennia event that was well for now for now <laughs> that um wasn't even the biggest one in the world though that was like number four or five in the world there's been like a 10 hasn't there i don't i can't i had to double check but it was a one in chile it was a 9.5 good lord the alaska one oh was yeah 9.2 that's terrifying that's <laughs> terrifying council the great white north and his I think she was pregnant at the time. Wife got to deal with that uh, earthquake up in Alaska this year. Apparently that stuff just goes on for like weeks and weeks and weeks after because you have all those aftershocks. So even though you may have, you know, this nine point whatever it was, Mm -hmm. you've probably got these rolling aftershocks for God knows how long. And I'm sure that that just drives you insane at that point. Yeah, right. Especially if you're a transplanted Iowan living in Alaska, <laughs> and it's the sun's not going down. I mean, I saw that movie with Robin Williams and Al Pacino where he couldn't sleep. <laughs> Insomnia. But, yes, thank you. I was I couldn't pull it. <laughs> yes. I like that movie. I saw it in a the theater. But uh, next question. Yeah, speaking of movies, Jeremy, 
Pacific Rim and Insomnia and otherwise, mm-hmm. what was the highest grossing film in Japan? And this is in the Japanese market. Bonus hint, it was made in Japan. Okay. And this is all time? All time, as far as what I'm seeing here. Okay. I will also give you another hint and say, if you can guess any of the Japanese ones in the top 10, they're kind of related, but um, we'll see if you can do it. Are they all dystopian future movies? I don't think so. Are they animated? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it's... Uh, I want to... Uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Okay. I'm going to say Princess Mononoke. Good guess. That's number seven. Okay. Number one is Spirited Away. Dang it. That was the ne- going to be the next one. Yes, I, yes. I pulled the first name that I could think of because if I've heard of it, it's probably huge because I haven't seen many of those. Studio Ghibli. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. Number two, Titanic. Interesting. <laughs> um, tallest structure in Japan, Jeremy. What is it? It's one of those fast and furious buildings that they would be like driving a car from one to another. I I I can see it in my eye. It's in Tokyo. Yep. Okay. That's the first part of the name. The Tokyo Spire? Uh no. Spike? <laughs> no. Liar? <laughs> These are all kind of like dancing around it a little bit. Um Peak? it's a little more <laughs> it's a little more fantastical than that. It's the Tokyo Sky Tree. Oh. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was way off. Tallest tower? Second tallest freestanding structure in the world behind the... The the thing that Tom Cruise climbs. Burj, Burj Khalifa. Burj Khalifa, yeah. Yeah. Did you, were you going to say the Burj Khalisi? No, I said Khalifs. Okay. <laughs> Burj Khalisi. <laughs> That'd be a different building. Yeah. All right, Jeremy, and to segue into the beer, what is the biggest brewery in Japan, our biggest beverage company in Japan... By market cap. I'm going to assume it's our beer today, Michael. That's incorrect. It is Asahi. <laughs> I was trying to think of that. Yeah. Uh, it's Asahi, Kirin, which we're having today, and Suntory. That's right. And it, and to, in Suntory? My, Suntory? Anyway. Suntory? I don't know. I'm, I have never spoken Japanese, nor have I been to Japan. In my defense, though, with not knowing these names... These companies are acquiring and like divesting of one another so quickly and so like frequently that it's very difficult for me to keep track of them. Yeah, the beer we're having next week is like part of a holding company that has like twenty different owners with different stakes in it. It's really oh, confusing. Um, but this week, Kieran, pretty straightforward. A little more straightforward. Stalwart of sushi restaurants the worldwide. <laughs> right, Kieran Ichiban. So, yeah, let's get into it, I guess. Okay. Jeremy, I thought the other purpose of this world tour would be to maybe you can pick a honeymoon location based on the discussion and whichever one has the greatest beer. I don't know if you've already chosen a destination, but this is a little food for thought. I can play along. (laughs) Thank you. You know, you could fly Mount Fuji or ride on a train. Do what you did. Looks like a bullet. Yeah, things like I did. (laughs) It's pretty fun. I, I imagine so. The train in England was pretty crazy, and that was not nearly the uh, insanity that is Japanese bullet trains. Um, nifty little website here, the Kieran webpage. It's pretty um, fancy. I'm, I'm actually on the 
actually both the USA one and the uh, regular one, I guess. Um, both pretty good. Here's some flavor text. Oh, God, there's so many to choose from. There really are. Let's do a legendary brewery here. The Japan Brewing Company, the forerunner of Kirin, was founded over 100 years ago in 1885. Just three years later, in 1888, the brewing of Kirin and beer began. 1990s saw the launch of Kirin Ichiban Shibori, a unique brew made exclusively from the first press of the wort. We see that a lot in this flavor text. First uh-huh. press, first press. It's also on the bottle, too. It is. Today, Kirin Ichiban is brewed by partners all over the world. Oh, so this probably didn't even come from Japan. Probably not. As the world's only first press beer, Kirin Ichiban is the true embodiment of beer at its purest talks about there's a little this was interesting so i you know i remember having this beer before you know it was a long time ago but there there's a little animal on it and that is a legendary mythical beast it's pretty sweet whatever it is yeah one half dragon one half deer so that's what that is so a drear a drear a dragon um so here let's get into this first press thing because first of all i've never heard the word press used in making beer, but I think it kind of makes sense now. Uh, I think it has to do with the uh, mashing process, maybe? Anyway, unlike other beers, Kirin Ichiban only uses liquid that flows naturally from the mash. This process, known as Ichiban Shibori, or first press, extracts only the purest, most flavorful portion of the strain. This is the secret behind Kirin Ichiban's refreshing flavor. This seems like nonsense. And why it is known as beer at its purest, yeah. They have a little graphic. I don't know if you're in the USA website, but they have a little uh-huh. graphic of like the beer on top, uh-huh. pressing it down, and that makes it good. <laughs> um, they say it, it's a lot like French press coffee, where the pure coffee flavor is extracted and pressed into a cup without extra rinsing of the coffee grounds. The uh. result is a distinctively crisp, smooth, and full-bodied flavor from start to finish. Hmm. Michael, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this uh, drinking etiquette. Oh, yeah. You know, I have learned this before, but yes. Um, yes, drinking etiquette. Chill your glassware. Nope. Never pour your own beer. Nope. <laughs> yeah, that's impossible. I need like a robot here. Mm-hmm. Always can pie, which is saying cheers. And make sure the other's glass is never empty. You guys did enough of that last week. <laughs> Jeremy's beer glass was never empty. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't even notice this. I was so pull back the current a little bit. I procured the um, beers for this this world tour. Oh Jesus! <laughs> and I was I was specifically trying to avoid getting AB InBev beers because they've just their fingers have percolated all over the world and have neutered the more rigorous traditional processes of making those beers and streamlined them so they can save money, kind of gutting the companies out and stuff like that. Typical corporate raider stuff. Obviously, I made a mistake here. Under the R beer section, <laughs> Kirin is proud to have its beers brewed around the world, including by Anheuser-Busch in the U.S. under strict supervision of a Kirin brewmaster. So, think this might be the only example of this, but we might get surprised later on. Anyway, let's open the beer. Sounds good. Um, Jeremy, can you remember the last time you had a Kirin Ichiban sushi restaurant otherwise? I do not know specifically the last time I had a Kirin. I remember having it in college at Knob of the Show and Crazins of the Show old apartment. They bought Kieran? It was a somebody brought, you know, I think a Was it you? 
Noah was non grata of the of the show. Huh. That does seem sound like something that would happen. Um <laughs> this is continuing in Michael's tradition of hit the summer of yellow beer. This yep. is one yellow beer. In fact, I think the only thing that would throw me off as to whether or not this was an American or any other kind of beer is probably the nose. Yeah, I was gonna say it's crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Classic cheers set color. Mm-hmm. Or the Simpsons, where the mugs the mugs always appear to be like 32-ounce steins, where they just hammer through them in like four pulls. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the nose is a little distinct. Maybe that's a hop aroma coming through? I think that's a noble hop that we're getting there, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's see if this uh, does anything is for it, us, I guess. Is this where we say kanpai? Oh, yeah, kanpai. And then do a little foley work here. There you go, Michael. All right. It's effervescent. It is effervescent. It's also very much a beer. It is a uh, almost feels like somewhere between a pilsner and a uh, a standard yellow beer, like yeah, your, domestic lager type. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah, got a little bit more of a noble hop aroma and I guess flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I can really taste is that first press, though. It's <laughs> clearly <laughs> it's clearly um, making a difference. <laughs> I mean, it all needs a gimmick, Michael. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Do you think they use a second press for a different beer then? <laughs> Kieran Light? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. There is. A, I saw that there is a Kieran Light. I, I saw that as well. Oh, oh my god, that'd be hilarious. Speaking of which, I'm sending you a picture, Michael. Okay. This is proof that uh, everyone and everything is making every kind of variant possible for everything. For example, at uh, to digress... When I was at El Bait Shop this past weekend, there was a variant of Grain Belt. It was That's a, right. You sent me that tweet of uh, <laughs> with sirens and it's Grain Belt blue, variant on tap. It's it's a it's called Grain Belt Blue B L U like the uh, the smokeless cigarette thingies that mm. vapes. I don't know if it's a vape. Okay. I, I feel like those things have been around longer than vape pens. Oh, is it blueberry? Of a holy crap grain belt. I know I almost got it, but there was 264 other beers that looked better than that one. Oh yeah, available. Yeah. So it wasn't about to uh, uh, deal with that. Maybe knob of the show can get some of this for us. He probably can. Although I would not suspect, would not be surprised if that was a draft only thing that they made to like, just someone was bored and they decided <laughs> to, to screw rattle it up. it up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But uh, my my point. In all of this, is that the fact that there's a Kieran Light does not surprise me. It would not have surprised me even if it wasn't made by InBev. I wonder if Kieran Light is in Japan or if that's just a American thing. Uh, all Japanese fans of the show, let me know. <laughs> so it's interesting. Well, maybe I'll save some of my beer facts for the next episode. Okay. Because um, beer in Japan is expensive because it really falls into a higher tax bracket so the fact that this is 100% malt you see that on the bottle uh-huh makes it like a real true beer as, a as lot opposed of, to as opposed to something with non-barley fermentables oh so rice lager well i don't i don't it might be like yeah other stuff i i don't know what the other stuff is but mm-hmm. it's it falls into a type of drink called haposhu, which okay. is it's kind of the equivalent of malt liquor in Japan. Huh. As in it's kind of lower class, easier to get, cheaper. They make horror movies about bums drinking it and it melts them. 
Yeah, sure. This is. I think the reason why we digress is there's not a lot to say about this. Right. I, I will say I am a little, slightly impressed that there's some nobility there. I like the nobility out of this. Yeah. And to be fair, I feel like that the only time that one has Japanese beer, at least stateside, is when mm-hmm. you are at a uh, either sushi or ichiban or you know some sort of Asian restaurant, be it Japanese, Eatery. Chinese, yeah. whatever. It tastes kind of weird without having like a big soy sauce and uh, <laughs> uh, wasabi shooter on the side, for lack of a better word. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, to be sure, they're, it doesn't taste like any other country's kind of beer. Yeah. For better or I was worse. Gonna, yeah, it, it, it is unique, at least. The Anheuser-Busch thing is is bothering me. The fact that this is probably not an import, but you know. <laughs> so we really didn't go to Japan. We should. We we've gone back to uh, St. Louis or any number of. Here it is. It's on the bottle. Oh. I'm such a dumb dumb. Um, brewed under Kieran's strict supervision by Anheuser Busch in Los Angeles, California, and Williamsburg, Virginia. Okay. Well, we're gonna assume that this is the Los Angeles one, even though that, you know, by uh by geography doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. I, I think we're closer to Virginia than we are to I LA. I think so, too. For all intents and purposes, this is our layover on our way to the Far East, Michael. Absolutely. There, yeah, you can um, yeah, yeah. categorize it like that. You're welcome. But but that said, like, I don't, I can't say that I've ever been to, like, I've been to sushi restaurants, and I've been to, like, you know, the uh, Three Samurai, which is, like, the hibachi-style restaurant. I don't know if I've ever been to, like, a straight-up this is a Japanese restaurant. It, it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think I see what you're saying. Like, just well, what about the the one in Iowa City? Which one? Takanami? Is that still there? Yeah. Takanami is no more. Mm. But that one was a. Uh, that was it was yeah. I, I guess you're right. That was a Japanese restaurant. I take that back. Anyway, <laughs> digression number five for the night. Yeah. Um, it's a yellow beer. It's a little nobly. I think it leans a little bit more towards a pilsner aspect. And I can't I can't say that I respect the fact that it's leaning on those noble hops and Well it just kinda makes it a um Czech beer almost. Kind like, of. Like a yeah. boudvar. Yeah, or Pilsner Quell or something. Mm-hmm. Um I also like the fact that it is not uh I mean I mean, I know we read that the Kirinichiban has been around since the late nineteenth century, but I kind of like the fact that it ha- doesn't really seem to be caving to American standards of light beer. You know, it could be worse. It, it could be. Like, I mean, at first I'm just like, yeah, it's, uh, you know what you're getting. But the more we sit here and discuss it, the more I have it, the more I'm realizing that this is a unique beer and a unique style on top mm-hmm. of that. I have no problem with the so-called yellow beers. Mm-hmm. But just, it seems like so often they there's... A lack of creativity or a lack of identity or take your pick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For all its faults of being, you know, a little skunky on this beer. Well, it's a little old too. Well, I'm right. A Kieran is skunky no matter when you get it. It's kind of right, like that's true. Okay. It's it's kind of like a a Heineken in that respect. Okay. Where no matter what you do, the skunk is just part of the beer. I don't mean it has been skunked. I just mean it has like a little bit of that skunky stinky, stinky yeah. Dutch beer aspects um but i 
I respect this beer more than I like it. I will take something this or something like this uh, in a 20 ounce or more, no matter whenever I can for sushi related purposes. This is a rating segment, by the way. So what do you rate oh, it? It is. I want to give this a, I'll give it a 3.0. I think this is a, uh, a solid beer that we have found, drank, and rated. Mm-hmm. But it's nothing that you need to run out and try. It's just, it's. I think that technically this is the definition of a 2.5 beer. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just kind of there. But the fact that it's got its own unique characteristics, but it's got a... It has that dragon deer on it kind of it deal. It does have a dragon deer on it, giving it a little bit of zhuzh on there, but... Mm-hmm. It's got its own swagger that is unique to Japanese beers. And mm. while I'm not going to, you know, ever buy this in more than a on-draft at a sushi restaurant... Yeah, I, right. I will get it at a sushi restaurant, so three stars. Yeah, I, I'm kind of underwhelmed and... Um... I'm, I'm just whelmed. Whelmed at the same time? Yeah, and actually, so your rating kind of was right in line with what I was thinking. I'm going to give it a three as well. Boom. Um, not running for it. Yeah, I might even pass the reach test, depending on what else is in there, because it's like, how often do you have one of these? It's almost the novelty factor mm-hmm. more than the taste factor to an extent. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, three. I, I, you've said it all. There's not much more to say. So, You'll be glad to know that as I dig through, uh, so my one check-in on Untapped was also a three stars from four years ago. But it seems like the overwhelming consensus from the one, two, three, four, five, six different people that have rated this in my list, or in my friends list, the average is 3.02. So we've nailed it. There you go. In any case, it's another one down the gullet. Uh-huh. Michael, hit me with those social media plugs yes. while you are at it. And while we are uh, waiting for this plane to take us across the sea. That's right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's also a good point. This, If you're on Air Japan or Air Nippon or whatever it is, you probably can get this for free, and why not drink it then? I did get a scotch when I was flying to uh, Scotland for free, and that was pretty <laughs> sweet. It, it, was, it was better than this, I'll just say that. <laughs> you can get in touch in a variety of ways. You can do so on Twitter at APMPod, Facebook.com slash APMPod. Um, you can email us APMPod at gmail.com. We're also on Untapped, where our host emeritus Mike, Keeps up with all of our ratings there. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. And uh, rate, review, subscribe on your favorite device or whatever you have. A device. Um, Application. Yeah. But we'll leave it at that. So for Jeremy, I've been Michael. For Michael, I've been Jeremy. This has been American Pale Males. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.